Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have given us an ancient faith, a faith that has been passed down to us from generation to generation and has now come to our ears. I pray that uh, this word of yours, which is eternal, as you are eternal, would sink deep into our hearts. We pray that you would help us to listen attentively as your children, to submit ourselves to your word as people in your kingdom. I pray that you would instruct us and encourage us in our walk of faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most beloved types of stories in literature or in movies is the suspense thriller. Of course, there's many different kinds of suspense thrillers, everything from action thrillers to sci-fi thrillers, mystery thrillers, psychological thrillers, even romance thrillers. But we love to be drawn into the story, perched on the ends of our seats as we wait for some major tension or suspense to be resolved in the end. We don't we want to see how things work themselves out. And we love stories like that because we were made by a storytelling God. We were created in his image. God has revealed himself to us in a grand and glorious story of redemption, the story of redemptive history, a story that was written on the parchment of human history. And it's a story full of intrigue and suspense and betrayal and sadness, but also hope and love and salvation. And there's a couple of interesting things about God's story of redemption, and one of them is that he draws us into that story as living and breathing and self-aware characters in his own story. Not only do we learn the story as we read through God's word, but we learn that we are actually part of that story. We are participants, characters in that story. But also, uh, we know that while the story has been written from beginning to end, it is still unfolding in the course of uh, history as God reveals his majestic glory and his story of salvation. And in the midst of that grand story of God, each one of us is living a drama of our own as a part of that story. We are, the stories of our biographies are being written day after day, and our stories intersect with and weave in with our family and our friends and our co-workers and even those who came before us and those who will come after us. And while the fullness of the story of our earthly life remains as of yet as ink in the Lord's inkwell, uh, it has been firmly decided in the mind of our glorious author. But for us, we remain in suspense. We are first-person characters in our own historical thriller. We do not know 
how things are going to exactly turn out. But it's in the midst of that, in the midst of our uncertainty and in the midst of our suspense that our guide and our helper speaks and he says, look back. Look to those who spoke the word of God to you. Learn and remember the grand theme of this glorious drama, which is the surety and the unchanging nature of God's faithfulness because of the surety and the unchanging nature of our, the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let that be your hope. Stand firm on that. So he points us to those who have come before us, and he tells us three things that we must do. He says, remember, consider, and imitate. Remember, consider, and imitate. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of, of, spoke to you the word of God. So in Hebrews chapter 13, our author will tell us about, speak about leaders three times. Sometimes those are leaders that are alive, and sometimes those are leaders who are no longer with this group. This seems to be the former group, uh, or I'm sorry, the, the latter group, those who are no longer with us. He uses the past tense. Remember your leaders who spoke, past tense, the word of God, who have an outcome of their way of life. They may have been uh, no longer on this earth. They may have deceased, and, or they may have just been taken away from these people, but they are, they are to remember these leaders, these are primarily preachers or teachers, those who spoke the word of God to these people. We were to remember them. And he says, then consider the outcome of their way of life. It wasn't just that they spoke the gospel, they taught the word of God, but their life reflected it. They had a way of life as a result. And such is the nature of true faith. True faith is not merely a speaking of biblical facts, telling stories, or even doctrine. True faith transforms the way that you live. It creates a way of life that is observable um, for those around you. And that's what these leaders had. He said they spoke the word of God and they had a way of life. But it wasn't the way of life necessarily that they were supposed to consider, but the outcome of their way of life. And the outcome. So the way this faith would have a would produce some kind of outcome, some kind of results. And remember the 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 audience is wrestling through whether they should endure in the faith. And so this is intended to be an encouragement to endure by considering the outcome of those who came before. But we have to be clear that the outcome wasn't necessarily an easy life. He, this, our author isn't saying, well, remember, they, they believed these things, they lived a certain way, and so therefore the, the life was much easier for them. If you remember in Hebrews chapter 11... There were quite, there was quite a long list of those who suffered quite significantly with terrible sufferings. God never promises an easy life. In fact, Paul said just the opposite to Timothy. He said anyone who desires to lead a godly life will 
suffer. Jesus said, blessed are you if you suffer for my sake, for such is for those received the kingdom of heaven. Now, it wasn't an easy life, but there was a steadfastness to their faith. These leaders remained firm in their faith in the midst of difficulty and trials and suffering. And that's the outcome that he is exhorting us to consider the steadfastness of those with a deep and true faith. That is the outcome that they had and that we must have. And then he says, and imitate their faith. He exhorts us to imitate the faith of those who come before us. Notice he doesn't say imitate everything about those leaders. The the leaders that God puts into our lives are earthen pots in which God deposits the treasure of his grace. He doesn't say say, imitate everything about these people, these weak and sinful individuals. He doesn't say imitate their idiosyncrasies or their sins. He doesn't even say imitate their mannerisms or their methods or their ministry. He says imitate their faith. It is the faith that is what must be imitated. And you might wonder, well, can you even do such a thing? How can you really, how can you really know someone's faith? I mean, isn't faith a, something internal, something in my head and in my heart? Can you really know, can, can you know what I believe? Can anyone know what you, what your faith really is? And the answer is yes. And it's right there in our passage. It's two things. It was the things that they spoke. They spoke the word of God. And it was their way of life. Those were the evidences of their faith. Our, the way of our, our life is, it validates or invalidates the spoken profession that we make. And he says, imitate that faith. But it's not even necessarily that a faith is something that is a carbon copy from generation to generation. Every generation of believers is living in different times and circumstances, and but the faith is what is constant. He says there's a way of life, a way of life, a unchanging word of God and a way of life. Our, our faith is not, or the faith of those who came before us isn't a, isn't a turn-by-turn directions for our course of life. We don't follow it to the T. We don't imitate to that level. It's more like a compass pointing to true north. It helps us to understand where to fix our eyes, which is on Jesus. And it's remarkable, then, that he would tell us to look at these people, which certainly gives a, a warrant for us to study 
church history to consider those people that have come before us with, that have exemplified this type of faith. Uh, even if it's recent history, very recent history, those who, in this case, spoke the word of God in our own hearing and exemplified before us a way of life. And God has given to us a very rich treasure of those who have come before us, examples of faith to follow. Um, recently, for those who are some still alive, some no longer alive, some we have examples that are names that some of us here know and some of us don't. Men such as Bryant McGee or John Sidema or Bill Moore or Rip Pratt. There are names uh, that are more familiar to more of us, such as R.C. Sproul, Sinclair Ferguson, and John MacArthur, and Al Mohler. In the 20th century, God gave us all sorts of examples of faith. The men like C.S. Lewis and Martin Lloyd-Jones, James Montgomery Boyce, Billy Graham, B.B. Warfield. Generations before that, he gave us great preachers, with evangelistic zeal like Charles Spurgeon and George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. He gave us the Puritans, such as John Owen and John Bunyan and the Reformers, such as John Calvin and Martin Luther, and before that, men such as Anselm and Augustine. All these men setting an example by teaching, speaking the word of God to us, and living out an example of faith. But it, isn't it a bit odd that God would direct our attention to people, sinful people, weak and sinful people, and tell us to look to them? I mean, actually, it's not without precedent. It's not without warrant. In fact, all of Scripture has examples of weak and sinful individuals who have demonstrated faith and even been vessels of God's word. Um, and isn't that what Hebrews chapter 11 was? Just a long list of example after example of those who demonstrated a faith, a steadfast faith, looking to Christ as their hope and reward and remaining standing firm in the midst of it. But beloved, what's, what's remarkable about this is that the Spirit of God is authoritatively opening the list, predicting, expecting that this steadfast faith that is a gift from our unchanging God, a, a faith that is fixed on the unchanging nature of Jesus Christ, that this faith will produce generation after generation of faithful believers who demonstrate a faith that is worth imitating. He is authoritatively drawing all of his people after the, the completion of God's word into that glorious chain of examples. That's not to say that God's word is open. It is most certainly not. The story has been written. It has been finished. And yet the fullness 
of its unfolding nature is not yet done. God's word is not expanding. We don't take the, uh, the annals of church history and append them on as books 67 and 68 and 69 and so forth. But God's word in advance provides a warrant for us to look to those who will come before us. It anticipates the power of this faith, the power of this gospel, knowing that it will produce faithful believers. And that can only be the case, brothers and sisters, because of the fact that our faith is unchanging. Our faith is a gift from the unchanging God, and our faith is in the unchanging Son of God. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he's the same in every age, in every way, to every people. Jesus Christ is the same in his prophetic office. He is and always has been the very word of God incarnate. He was the way, the truth, and the life in the days of Augustine and in the days of R.C. Sproul. He, his, the gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed from the moment that he walked on the earth, and it is the same for us today. It, the gospel of Jesus is the only hope of our salvation. It was the only hope when Dave Bell's grandmother was a little girl, and it will be the only hope when Macy Touchstone is an aging grandmother. Jesus Christ is the same in his priestly office. God has said, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice once. There will never, ever be another need for another sacrifice because he completed it forever in his body. And Jesus intercedes for his people on their behalf. Jesus interceded just as he prayed for Peter that he would not fall. So he prayed for Martin Luther that he would stand firm in the midst of the Reformation. So he prayed for Charles Spurgeon that he would preach with a demonstration of the Spirit and with power. And so he prays for you and for me. And Jesus Christ is the same in his office of king. He was the same king ruling and reigning supreme during the Crusades and during World War I and during World War II. He protected and pre preserved his people in the midst of the persecution of the Roman Empire through the darkness of the medieval ages, through the division of the American Civil War, through the shift from modernism to postmodernism, through liberalism and feminism and even transgenderism. Jesus Christ is still reigning and ruling and supreme. His compassion is exactly the same as it was when he showed compassion on the woman caught in adultery and when he saw the multitudes that were like a sheep, like, like sheep without a shepherd. His power to forgive 
is no less for you than it was for the paralytic being let down from the ceiling. His, his love and his power to restore you in the midst of your failings is exactly the same as that, as when he restored the apostle Peter who had denied him three times. He still identifies with us, his bride, just as he did when she was persecuted by Saul and the Jews. And he still fills his church with his spirit, empowering us to do his work, just as he did at Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, beloved, is the only sure thing. He is the only anchor for our soul. He is the only solid foundation for our faith. Even in the midst of everything that changes. Because our lives, are, our experience, everything about us is changing. It's true that nothing new is under the sun. Yet we live in a sea of change. Constant change. And yet Jesus Christ is the same. He was, his law is the same. It is just as pure and glorious and good. Despite changing moral values in the midst of monarchies and democracies and totalitarian governments. The grammar of his grace uses the same syllables despite the many different countries throughout the globe over the course of history and all of the various languages that have been spoken. His truth is and always will be knowledge and wisdom despite changing technologies over the course of history from written language to the invention of the printing press to the invention of the internet He's the same even though we individually change. We grow. We come into being. We were not, and then we are conceived, and we are born, and we grow physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. You know, Jesus Christ is the same. There was a time where we don't know Christ, and then a time that we do know Christ, and yet Jesus Christ is the same across all of that. And Jesus is the same even as the church grows and changes over the course of history. The, the truth of God's word never changes. His truth is absolute and pure. The gospel never changes. And yet our ability as a church has grown over time as the Spirit has given us progressive illumination, greater clarity of understanding, a better ability to accurately live it out and reflect it. Jesus was the same when the church was confused on the nature of the Trinity and on the nature of the person of Jesus Christ and can, when the church was confused about the nature of the person of the Holy Spirit. It was confused or uh, Jesus was the same as the as the reformers sought to bring the church back to the authority of God's holy and infallible word, and as liberalism sought to bring us away from the authority of God's holy word. And Jesus is the same 
even though we continue to wrestle with issues like baptism, covenant theology versus dispensational theology, the nature of worship, what is the church, how, how do we worship well, and it will continue, he will continue to be the same as the church continues to wrestle through issues of faith and life. Yes, beloved, in all these things, and in countless more, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Only he is the true constant. And so our hope is the same as those who came before us. Our hope is not in them, but they bore witness to that hope that we have. And so we must look back to them and imitate their faith. God proclaimed beforehand that he would provide for us living and breathing examples that we would hear and see, and he's done it. He's preserved his gospel. He's preserved his truth from generation to generation. And now it's come down to us. And now we are the ones that have entered the stage. We are the ones that are living out this life of faith. And he says, look back and imitate their faith. That is the prescription. Which means that we have to be careful not to devise some new kind of faith. Our faith is an ancient faith. We need to be careful not to try to be novel or create something new. Our responsibility is to articulate it clearly, boldly, and to stand firm on the, on the shoulders of those who have come before us. But we have to remember that we live in different times from those who came before us. We don't imitate their methods or their manners but their faith in this age. We need to understand God, that God has planted us on this hill, in this place, for this time, in the midst of this culture, which means we must understand the culture in which we live as well as the faith that we have received. And we need to articulate it as clearly as we can in this culture so that it is heard. We must live it out as effectively as we can as salt and light in this culture in which he has placed us. And he tells us to do that by imitating their faith. Um, if you ever have the opportunity to read biographies of godly men and women who have come before us, I encourage you to do so. It is incredibly encouraging to hear the steadfastness of faith that the Lord has produced in these godly men and women. It's encouraging to hear what work the Lord did through those people. Um, but it's, it's never the accomplishments that they accomplished or any, any, any specific thing about their lives that is the interesting part. It is the, it is the faith that God worked in them. It is the, 
It's the same faith that we have. And that's what's encouraging about it. They're worshiping and demonstrating faith in the same Jesus that we have. And they are facing the same types of struggles that we face. The struggles of ridicule and doubters and persecution and fatigue. And to see how God worked in them in the midst of their faith. And how he preserved them and gave them a steadfast faith is encouraging to the, to the soul and helps encourage us to persevere. It's, it's the, it's, it is not methods that we need, beloved. It is a deeper and more profound faith. It is, it is faith trusting in the surety of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is faith trusting in the steadfastness of God to his promises. That is what gives us strength to endure in our lives. It is faith to believe that God's word is true in the path of our blessing, in the prescription for how we ought to live faithfully in the midst of this life. That is the faith that we need. We don't need methods or devices. We need deep faith. We need the Lord to we need to say to the Lord, increase our faith, the faith to proclaim the unsearchable riches of Christ without fear or trembling, the faith to stand firm in the midst of oppression in the workplace and in our neighborhoods. It's faith in the unchanging nature of our God. That is what we need. And that's what we ought to see. And we, when we, and what our, our God tells us is turn around and look. Turn around and look and see examples. Imitate that faith. That is the faith that will preserve you. Because they had the same Savior that you have, and they stood firm. Trust in Him and grow in faith. And so, with all this, I think there's, there's a few things that we can say by way of application. Uh, the first, I would direct to our leaders, current leaders. Elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, ministry leaders, Bible study leaders. Take a look at this. God is putting you and me on display. He is setting an example through the words that you say and the, your way of life. Be exemplary in your faith. Be exemplary. Be Careful to teach the Word of God accurately, not your spin on this, on this book, but God's Word, what He would have you teach. Teach it with accuracy and boldness and clarity and joy. But don't let it just be words. As you teach, teach yourself. Let that Word transform your life 
Let your way of life set an example of the robust and eternal faith that has been handed down to us. Live for Jesus, but also live in Jesus as an example for the church. Demonstrate the faith that you teach with your mouth through the life that you live before one another. Secondly, for all of us, we need to be praying for our preachers and our teachers and our leaders that they would grow in faith. It is by faith, growing in a deep faith, that you will be fed from the wells of God's grace, from his word. It's from faith that there will be a clarity from the pulpit, a clarity from Sunday school, a clarity of teaching taught to our kids, raising up another generation. It is faith that we need. We, faith is a gift from our God. We need to pray for it. God gives gifts when we ask for it. Third, we need to follow the example. We need to follow the example that the Lord has set before us. We need to remember those leaders that have come before them, before us, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate it. We need to imitate the, the word that they have given to us, preserving the doctrine, even resolve to improve upon it. And by that I mean with greater clarity, living more fully, leave this legacy of faith in better condition for those who come after than what you received. Let me be clear. You will never, you will not have a, a better gospel, but you may communicate it better. You will not live a better gospel, but you may live it out more clearly. So do that with your life. Leave a legacy of faith that's better and stronger than what you received. But remember, we can do this only by remembering that the only constant is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the golden thread that connects every generation of God's people. The preachers and the teachers will come and go, but the preaching of Jesus will remain forever. So let us rest on him. And so resolve in your mind that you will put your faith squarely on Jesus. Jesus Christ is our only hope for salvation, just as he always has been. Receive that gift and learn of his grace Live it out, imitating the faith of those who have come before you as you leave a legacy for those who will come after you. So, brothers and sisters, uh, one day, soon, after you have departed from this earth, this text will be preached in another sermon, at another church, before another congregation, at another time. And Lord willing, that pastor will look at his congregation, as you've heard this morning, and that congregation will be exhorted 
to remember their leaders and to imitate their faith. And as they're sitting there and they're recalling the legacy of faith that the Lord had given to them, they will remember you. They will remember you. Perhaps as a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor or an elder or a ministry leader, they will, or maybe just your name will have been uttered by their parents or grandparents as somebody who spoke the word of God and lived a life of faith before their eyes and left an impact. What will be the example that they will have to follow? Because it's going to happen. So live life now to set an example now for a people that are yet unborn, that they will receive the riches of this grace. They will receive the riches of this faith that has been passed down to us with clarity and joy and conviction because the same faith, the same Jesus that was the same for those who came before us is ours now and he will be tomorrow and forever. And so let us live with the clarity and conviction that this is our hope and let's bless his name forever and ever. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you've put us in the midst of this history that is your story, the story of your grace and redemption. Thank you that you have given us ears to hear of the hope that is ours only in your Son, the only hope for salvation. Help us to trust fully in him, for we know that there will never, ever be any other hope. There will never, ever be any other solid foundation other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, Lord, we want to praise you. We want to reflect your glory clearly. And so we pray that your spirit will enable us to do that. We pray this for your glory's sake. Not to us, not to us, oh, Lord, but to you be the glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.